may uh, your glory fill the earth through the voices of non-singers whose lives are given over to you. May your glory fill the whole earth through the voices of men and women in rural and urban India. May your glory fill this space uh, through what goes on in our minds and in our hearts, outwardly and inwardly. Uh, be praised, uh, be glorified, we ask in Christ's name, amen. So as Jeff noted, welcome to the season of Lent. For those of you not familiar with the season of Lent, it has been since the fourth century or so, a period of about six and a half weeks 40 days plus Sundays leading up to Easter, during which many Christians have given their special attention to the journey of Jesus to his cross and all that entailed for him and by extension as we walk in his steps also for us. Historically for Christians, Lent has been a season of intentional attentiveness to the Lord, focused especially on his threefold uh, call to quiet giving, quiet fasting, and quiet prayer, and to reflection on our sin, which drove him to his cross. The season of Lent began uh, this past week on Ash Wednesday with a call to repentance, to going another way, to going a different way, to thinking differently, to having a different mind, to turning away from our sin, to turning to God relying on his grace. This morning we begin a series of messages that will call us to that different way as we give our attention to some of the passages in the middle part of Luke's gospel that begin and are on the way with Jesus to his cross. We begin this morning in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel beginning at verse 51. Listen closely, this is the word of God. Luke writes, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, similar language that's used uh, later for his ascension in the book of Acts, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent his messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people there did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven? Uh, memories of Elijah and his battle with the priests of Baal. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume these people? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. And this passage, and specifically verse 51, represent a major shift in Luke's gospel. Jesus has turned a corner. His focus has shifted. From this point on, Jesus' eyes and Jesus' face are set on Jerusalem and specifically on the cross that awaits him there in a way that they have not been up to this point in Luke's gospel. Verse 51 is a statement by the narrator, by Luke, uh, to the reader, to us, and hence the reader knows what those in Jesus' audience in the text do not yet know, that Jesus will die. 
And Jesus will also be raised, and he knows that he will be raised from the grave. But as one who is not only fully God, but also fully human, Jesus could not help but be aware of the excruciating pain that awaited him there in Jerusalem. The English Standard Version from which I've read this morning gives us the most literal translation of the original Greek text for verse 51. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem with set his face being a Hebrew idiom that's echoed across the Old Testament and the reference here may be specifically to a passage in Isaiah, a passage from one of those four poems in Isaiah that are known as the Suffering Servant Songs that point to God's Messiah of whom we think Jesus was. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been confounded, therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and one can almost see Jesus' head turning and Jesus' eyes turning and Jesus' attention turning and Jesus' focus turning specifically to that to which his father had called him in love for the sake of the world, for the sake of those who follow him, for the sake even of those who will not follow him, for the sake of us and all other misfits. And the phrase sets one, set, set one's face occurs many times across the Old Testament and so we get its meaning in the idiom. It means to resolve. Literally, to set one's face, to make one's face, to fix one's face. Which reminded me of something that I heard uh, this week. Uh, a man said to his girlfriend, I think you have drawn your eyebrows on too high. And she looked at him surprised. <laughs> to set one's face, to make one's face, to fix one's face was to resolve and to be determined. In the New International Version, they more fluidly translate verse 51 of Luke 9 like this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He was resolved, he was determined, he was fixed in his focus. Nothing was going to get in Jesus' way. Nothing was going to keep him from that to which his father had called him. Not risk, nor distraction, nor danger, nor threat, nor fear, nor detour. Luke doesn't mean, though, that Jesus would walk straight to Jerusalem, though. Clearly, Jesus didn't. Luke tells us over the next 10 chapters about Jesus' wandering way or at least his geographic path. He chose us each town that he goes through, each village, each place, each city. And so G Luke doesn't mean that Jesus is geographically making a straight line to Jerusalem, but that he is intent, he is determined, he is focused, he is locked in on his purpose, his mission, his calling from his Father in heaven. Maybe you remember that cartoon 
from the family circus creator. He did this often where he would show the child would say, yeah, mom, I, I'm coming home. And then he would get there through a roundabout way. That's what Jesus is doing, but always intent, focused, locked in on why and the purpose and the mission and the calling of where he is going, his purpose. He is intent that God so loved the world that he has given Jesus this mission. And it would be a journey of, among other things, rejection and persecution. Jesus would eventually be rejected and persecuted, rejected in Jerusalem as prophet, rejected as king. And even here in Samaria, he is rejected by the locals, rejected as a prophet, rejected and pushed out, pushed away. And yet he would continue on this journey to love his neighbors, to love his enemies, which we talked about last week, to include outsiders, to show mercy to sinners, to show grace for the depraved, to create space for outcasts. And just this way and with these commitments, Jesus' face was set toward Jerusalem. Nothing was going to bend his calling or weaken his love or persuade him to compromise. And so the question for us is, as students or followers or disciples or apprentices of Jesus, how are we like him in this way? How are we becoming like him in this way? To what has God called you? To what mission has God called you and me in your life? What is the God-given purpose of your life, at least at this stage? What is your God-given purpose? What is my God-given purpose? To what are we called? What is our Jerusalem? And have we set our faces toward that thing, toward that place, toward that calling, toward your and my Jerusalem? God has called you, God has called me to something. I believe that God has called each of us, given us a specific mission in this life or purpose according to his will and his kingdom. And maybe for you that is to love in Jesus' name the people at your workplace or the people in your school or to work hard and earn lots of money so that you can give generously to some great purpose or to be a blessing to your immediate neighbors or your neighborhood in Jesus' name, or to contribute your time in significant ways or your gifts to a ministry in or of or through the church, or to exhibit radical compassion to someone who is not worthy of it, or to a neighbor or to a loved one or to a family member, to give radical care to someone who needs it, or to work against racism or to liberate women and children from sex traffickers, or to minister to people in poverty, or to give your life to a particular people or people group, like those that these pastors and others in India are sent out to, called to particular villages, called to specific people groups. 
And then in Jesus' name and Jesus' way to set one's face toward that thing to which God has called one. To mark out a course for one's life and to stay on that course. And along the way, along the way, figure out how to forgive that person who is a debtor to you, which is what we pray. And to participate in another person's healing and to share wisdom with another person and to enjoy a meal in a sinner's house and to be an advocate for grace in the world and to say hard things in love to people who need to hear them and to love one's enemies or adversaries or opponents and to pray for those who make life hard, which are exactly the sorts of things that Jesus does on this journey toward his greater calling. And this is the journey of Lent. The journey to the cross, a season to be drawn back into the things, the things that matter most. This doesn't mean that you or I shouldn't enjoy chocolate during this season or pancakes during this season for sure, or that we shouldn't go to the movies or play soccer or enjoy ourselves, but it does mean it is a call back into the core of what life is about. And the things to which God has called us. The things to which Jesus modeled for us. And it means taking seriously, setting our faces toward the thing that is our Jerusalem. Being mindful of distractions that seek to pull us away. Being mindful of where Jesus is going himself. Walking these next six weeks with intent, with decisiveness, with determination, with a single-minded focus. Last fall we talked in our curriculum about the way of Jesus and about living for an audience of one. During Lent especially, we are reminded and called to a way of life that is attentive first and foremost to God. To God's overarching purpose more than our overarching purpose, to seeking first his kingdom, even while it is so easy to be distracted. And we start doing things in order to get noticed and be noticed and to be applauded and to be praised and to fulfill our own wishes and desires and wants and dreams. That's my life. Our mission as a congregation is to honor God by helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We are constantly as a church being drawn into other things, being lured into other things. And Jesus says, set your face on Jerusalem, on the thing to which I have called you as a congregation, as a body. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Close your eyes and just imagine all of the perceived purposes of Jesus that we make out. He's there to serve me. He's there to help me. He's a gentle shepherd. And Jesus is locked in on the cross that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven, that he might be the atoning sacrifice for our sin because God so loved the world, because his daddy, his Abba, loves radically. What is your Jerusalem? To what has God called you? What does it look like for you to set your face in that direction or to resolutely live each day in that direction? It is too easy for one's life or 
for seasons of one's life, for seasons of my life, for days, weeks, months at a time to be directed by distractions. Certainly you have the experience of being in a room with someone who's watching a television program. Maybe you choose the program. And you ask them a question, you say something to them, and there is no response at all. Nothing. They are locked in on the TV. Locked in. And the scriptures tell us, Luke says, Jesus was locked in on the cross. He was locked in. In the midst of all of these other things that he would do, people that he would be with, places he would go, he was locked in with single-minded focus. We cannot allow ourselves, our lives, to be mesmerized by entertainment, which is all around us. I know people who have given up Facebook and Instagram and their phones for Lent. Think about it. D.A. Carson said, we do not drift into obedience. And how true that is. We do not drift into the way of Jesus. We do not drift toward Jerusalem. We do not drift toward a cross. It doesn't happen that way. Jesus didn't drift. He didn't get to the cross by accident or randomly. Lent is a time for focus. One of my resolutions for Lent this year and Lent is a time for resolutions, for being resolute, resolved, is to try to create more space for God, which sounds odd maybe coming from a pastor. But the distractions of the world and things I want to do and the voices that clamor for attention and time can keep a person from God, can keep a person from their primary mission, the Jerusalem to which God has called us. There's a young man who was born in 1877 named William Borden from a very wealthy family, not the dairy Borden family, but a mining family. His dad having made a fortune in Colorado in mining. As a young man, his parents sent him off to a uh, highly regarded boarding school in Pennsylvania from which he graduated at the age of 16. At that point, he could have done nothing and enjoyed the rest of his life, stepping into the fortunes of his family, taking a place in the business, getting a ride on Easy Street. But his mother was a Christian and a follower of Jesus. She set up for him a trip around the world with a renowned missionary named Erdman. And so he went off and spent a year touring the world, learning, seeing what God was doing in the distant far corners among what they called then the heathen. Today we would call the lost or the unreached. Those who haven't yet heard the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus. And at the end of that time, he wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserve. He went then to Yale 
where he studied for four years. He was an athlete. He was uh, a leader on the campus, but he found emptiness at Yale and so started Bible studies in a movement in the early 1900s that was called the Student Volunteer Movement. By the time he left Yale, 1,000 of the 1,300 students were in small groups and Bible studies and learning to commit their lives to following Jesus primarily due to his influence. He could have done anything at that point in his life. He could have gone back to the family business, gone back to Easy Street in which he grew up, a life of privilege. Instead, he enrolled in Princeton Seminary and wrote in his Bible, no retreat. In other words, no going back. And he studied there for three years and along the way spent time in urban settings, uh, funded rescue missions, learned from everyone he could, led, prayed, studied, prepared, spent time in England, spent time among Muslim people, prayed and asked God, what are you calling me to do? And concluded that God was calling him to a people, a Muslim people group in China. And so he began to study for that. Toward that end, he arranged to go to Egypt and Cairo where he would study Arabic language and culture in preparation for the Jerusalem to which God had called him. Nineteen days after arriving in Cairo, he contracted spinal meningitis. On his deathbed two weeks later, he wrote in the back of his Bible, no regrets, and then passed away. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. God has a Jerusalem for each and every one of us. What is your Jerusalem? By God's grace, may we set our faces on that and set our faces toward that. God calls us to focus, to keep our eyes on Christ, to avoid looking at what everyone else is doing, what everyone else is being, what everyone else is having, what everyone else is saying, and to instead see him. As I went through the scriptures this week, over and over and over, that is what Jesus calls people to a single-minded devotion. I'm going to close with these words that will be our memory verse for this week. From the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Words that seem particularly appropriate for Lent. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross that we wouldn't have to. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. As we enter into this season of Lent, 
God. By your grace, may it be for us a season of renewed resolve and focus and by your grace, determination that we might learn in fresh and new ways what it means to follow a Savior who is on his way to a cross, to walk in his steps, to understand his path, to embrace his way. Save us from distractions. Help us in the midst of them and the things along the journey that we will encounter. To be about your will, to be about your kingdom. To love you with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. To love our neighbors as we love ourselves. To forgive as we have been forgiven. To be generous as we have received. And to pray for those who persecute us. We love you. Thank you for loving us in Christ the Lord. Amen.